I am here with Dr. Randall Outland from Kinston, North Carolina. Uh, we're here at Faith Church in Poundville, Vermont, and we're doing this long distance uh, via Zoom, although we're only using audio this week, uh, to be able to supplement what we've been talking about here at Faith Church about what is church? How do we live out being Jesus followers in our church, in our, in, in our communities? And so uh, I brought in Dr. Allen because he is such a great resource for pretty much anything. But for someone in his, his position, which I'll he'll let him detail in just a minute, with a tremendous amount of, of church background, of, of uh, biblical literacy, all these different things he's, he's radically and been deeply involved in, uh, I felt it'd be a very appropriate to bring him in on this process. So, uh, Dr. Allen, feel free to share what your background, experience, all those fun things have been over the past however many years you've been in church. Thank you. Great to be here, Jason. Uh, I've known you for a long time. In fact, you and your lovely wife, Jennifer, or Jen, were former students of mine at the University of Mount Olive, which I was and still am an adjunct professor of religion. That's how we first met. And then uh, you and Jennifer and your first son and then others came and were part of our church in Kinston at Spillman Memorial Baptist Church. So I uh, appreciate the relationship. appreciate you inviting me to come on today and share about uh, about church. Well, I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the capital of North Carolina, and from about first grade on, and also went to college in Raleigh at North Carolina State University, NC State, where I met my wife, Karen. Uh, after college, we spent four years in Raleigh working in the, the business world, and then we went off to seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas and spent four years there and got my master's of divinity degree. I was kind of surprised that the Lord led us back to North Carolina. I didn't think I was coming back to North Carolina. Uh, and I came back to Eastern North Carolina, east of Raleigh. Uh, we have had uh, 30 years of uh, full-time pastoral experience in three churches in Eastern North Carolina. Uh, the first one was in Sampson County, which is a rural county just outside the city of Clinton. And that's kind of an agribusiness uh, city. Uh, not, a, not a big city, about 10,000 people. Uh, our church was mostly farmers or farm-related, and I was there for uh, just at seven years. I was their first full-time pastor. Mm. Uh, their previous pastor was a 60-year-old man who had a high school education who pastored two churches, and they turned around and called me as a 30-year-old man uh, with a master's degree, full-time, in that one church, and I had a beard. <laughs> so that was uh, a, quite a change for them. I said a lot about the church, but uh, through this, the, uh, them loving me through bad preaching for the couple, first couple of years, uh, I helped them really to get on mission, uh, to be involved in missions locally and internationally. Uh, each year I could see them progressing in uh, their missions, effort, and, and vision. Uh, I am proud to say that uh, Mount Vernon, the name of this church, uh, that's been many years ago, doing well, very healthy church and doing just a great job. they got a great pastor at this point, and they're doing fantastic. Uh, I was there almost seven years and went to, uh, to the coast of North Carolina, to uh, Newport Baptist Church in Newport, North Carolina. It's close to Moorhead City, which is right on the ocean. Uh, that church, that county, Carteret County, was known for fishing and tourism, but this church was neither involved in fishing nor tourism. Uh, it was in the western part of the county, and it was about five miles from Havelock, where Cherry Point Marine Air Station is located. And so most of our people were civil servants. They worked on the base uh, doing uh, all kinds of, of jobs. 
many of them are from uh, Newport originally uh, and still there, but working on base. Others had moved into the area, maybe retiring from the Marine Corps and working. And we'd have uh, maybe 20% of the population of our church uh, were Marines, uh, mostly NCOs. Uh, we would have uh, some privates and some officers, but mostly there were sergeants in our church. So we had a real, uh, uh, not military flavor, but a base flavor. Uh, this church, without going into any kind of detail, uh, was a very dysfunctional church. They had some uh, dysfunctional history about, I don't know, eight or 10 years before I got there, and they're still uh, working through that. Um, some dysfunctional people there. We developed different support groups while we were there. We were very successful. Uh, I did a lot of counseling of individuals, learn about counseling. Uh, that was uh, for individuals, but the, the family system of the church was really very dysfunctional. And uh, we really uh, almost, I guess we had a split, lots of conflict in the church and uh, had, to, had to work through that. It was a, a very a challenging time. I was there 10 years uh, at that church before the Lord led me more into the center part of East North Carolina in Kinston, where I am now, at Spillman Memorial Baptist Church. Uh, this was uh, an older church, a fine church, but um, most of the people were retired or working at a manufacturing plant, uh, DuPont. They made, I think, rayon or different kind of uh, fabric mm -hmm. there. Uh, that used to be the largest employer in the county. About 3,000 employees is down when I got there, down about 1,000. Time I left the church, probably down about 300 employees. Uh, it's been a big blow to our county. But most of the people uh, in at Spillman were white collar uh, supervisors, managers, some business owners, and then some had some other blue collar workers as well. Uh, but it's a, a different church than the other two uh, because they're mostly white collar. I, I couldn't tell them what to do. <laughs> I had to, had to lead them. They they were the leaders. I had to kind of guide them in that. So it was. Uh, so I've served in three. And I've been this church uh, 13 years and, and left uh, Spillman about six years ago. Uh, yeah, six years ago. Um, but my three churches in 30 years in East North Carolina, all East North Carolina, which is, has its own culture, but all three churches are different. Right. Farm-related, agriculture, uh, base-related to a military base, and then a kind of a white-collar, uh, mostly older congregation in Kinston. So I've had a a variety of experiences uh, in, in church. Uh, presently, the last four years, I've been the interim pastor of two churches, uh, two Baptist churches, one in Goldsboro, about 30 miles to the west of us, Madison Avenue Baptist Church. And now I'm presently serving at Emmanuel Baptist Church here in Kinston. Both, if you don't know about interim pastors, when a pastor retires or resigns or goes somewhere else, they call a, a man in for a while to get them between uh, the pastors. I'm kind of helping them uh, set direction uh, so they can call a full-time pastor uh, after me. So I'm there to help them uh, prepare for the future. And that's what I'm doing now at uh, Emmanuel Baptist Church. Uh, kind of with church life is what uh, Jason uh, just mentioned uh, a moment ago. Uh, I mentioned meeting him at University of Mount Olive, adjunct professor. I've been there uh, over 20 years uh, helping out the Department of Religion when I can, when they let me. And that's uh, where I met, uh, again, met Jason and Jennifer. I was through uh, the religion program at Mount Olive, and I still continue to do that. It's a fully online um, system now, but I enjoy doing that. And I kind of, I, I think the real value I bring to the program is that I have uh, uh, lots of uh, pastoral experience in the field. It helps these students who are 
working adults, age 25 to 65, working on a BS degree. And I can bring my a field experience into the academics, and I think that's very beneficial. So that's kind of my background, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to share uh, with you, with Jason, uh, what's going on. I appreciate it so much to Dr. Allen. It's such a, such an honor again to have you. And uh, for those of you who are with us, again, our church has changed dramatically. I think most churches have um, during this COVID experience, but uh, PC or pre COVID <laughs> uh, you were here and your wife was here, I believe it was October last year, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was. uh-huh. Yeah. So about a year ago. So again, our church has changed dramatically. So some, some of them might be familiar with you, but for those of you in our church, who's not, uh, you, know, you, you got the full, everything. You got everything you need to know about Dr. Allen just about in one little uh, quick burst there. So I appreciate that. Uh, The reason we have you on today is again, we're recovering Ephesians 4 and 5 and 6 and talking about how do we live, practically live out this gospel identity together? How do we live out life as a a church, as a body of believers together? And so again, I think your academic and professional, personal experience, all those things just play such a huge role into uh, giving us a unique perspective on how this is supposed to look, right? Uh, the, the ideal and then the, the real world of what it looks like. So uh, I think we're going to take this through a, a few different avenues. First, we're just going to kind of talk about briefly, you know, it, from a biblical point of view, from, from the first century and those who are right after Jesus and really even at the Jesus moment there, what was church supposed to look like? What was the, the vision cast out there? What was the, the plan uh, that they had when they first started, again, using the scripture as our guide here, uh, not our own you know, personal thoughts, but you know, what do we see, read, and hear? So I want to just have your take on that of like, okay, what, what's, the, what's the church look like in the beginning, uh, or what's it supposed to look like from the beginning? Uh, great question. Let me uh, back up, give some preliminary comments before we actually look at the first century and second, third century church. Um, some Bible students have said Paul's main theme, the Apostle Paul's main theme in his writing was reconciliation. Mm. Uh, first of all, calling people to be reconciled to God, mm. uh, repenting of sins and placing the faith in the Messiah, Jesus. And through that, he established churches and others established churches across the Roman Empire. But I think the second part of reconciliation is how are we reconciled to each other? Right. Uh, one of the issues we see in the book of Acts, Acts 15 in particular, and Paul had this issue probably throughout his uh, uh, missionary ministry, was that you had uh, those of Jewish background coming to Christ and being part of the church, and those of Gentile background or non-Jewish background coming to faith in Christ and being the church together. Mm. And there was some theological issues and some practical issues. Uh, we see a little bit of that when he writes to the church in Rome, and he's talking about um, those who are really won't eat meat because it's been sacrificed to idols and those who say it's no big deal and those kind of um, body issues, those fellow believers, how, how do you reconcile that? How do you live together with that? Um, other Bible students said that the church in Rome, for instance, and maybe even Ephesians, the church in Rome, Rome was maybe a, a million population uh, when Paul was alive. Uh, I'm not sure about that figure and maybe only 150 Christians mm. at the time, uh, maybe 200 at most, and probably five or six or eight or 10 house churches right. meeting in, in, in the community. So they're living, uh, doing life together, is a phrase we hear so often today. Right. Uh, they did. Perhaps some were Jewish uh, Christians, some were Gentile Christians, and some were mixed in their house churches, and 
I think part of Paul's writing, especially his practical part, the last a fourth of his book, he, he's speaking to that. Uh, how, how can we live together despite our differences? Um, so that, that's kind of a background. Even in, in Ephesus, the book that you guys are going through right now, uh, Ephesus was a, a major city. It might have been the second or third largest city in the Roman Empire there on the, the west coast of uh, modern-day Turkey, mm-hmm. Asia Minor, or the province of Asia during, during Paul's time. Uh, and I'm sure they had some of the similar problems of Jews and Gentiles uh, are just are just Gentiles, uh, pagans coming into faith. And uh, how do you live, live life? How do you not do what you did before as, as a Gentile? Right. Um, so with, with the, the coming of, of Pentecost, with the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, and, and the church growing and developing, and Paul and others planting churches across the Roman Empire, um, Rome kind of saw uh, what we would call the church as really another sect of Judaism. Right. These were followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Right. Uh, we had Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Zealots and, and others, and you had these Nazarenes, if you will, right. uh, those who followed Jesus. So as far as Rome was concerned, they were doing another Jewish sect, and they had some privileges that Jews had. Right. Uh, in the Roman Empire, you had to really earlier um, worship the genius of, of the emperor or the, or the empire. Later on, you had to really worship the emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think time of Paul and his life ending in Nero, I'm not sure he was really asking for worship as a um, as a God, but when the emperors died, they became sons of God. Gotcha. So you still had to give some worship to the, to the emperor or to the empire, but Christians wouldn't. And that was okay at that time because they were under the Jewish umbrella and, and the Jews had a special dispensation from Rome. If you'd pray for us, great. You don't have to worship God. We know you Jews are kind of crazy. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> but when the Jews rebelled against Rome in AD 66 to 70 and Rome came in and destroyed Jerusalem, the temple AD 70, uh, the Christians living in the environs uh, did not help the Jews in fighting the Romans. They fled and the Jews didn't like that. They were kind of uh, upset that these so-called Christians wouldn't defend Jewish Christians wouldn't defend Rome. And really that was really a split between Judaism and uh, followers of Jesus Christianity. Uh, with that, they were considered no longer Jews, and the church really lost the protective umbrella of being under the Jewish umbrella of Rome mm. and became a legal religion. It was a new religion. Anything new to Rome was bad. The religions had to be old. Right. Of course, Christians said, no, we go all the way back to Abraham and back to Adam, but Rome didn't understand that. So for AD 70 onwards, the church was um, underground. Uh, they, they, they couldn't, uh, they were persecuted uh, from time to time, not all the time, for the next 300 years. Uh, it could be local, it could be a regional. A couple, three times it was empire-wide. Sometimes an area go for decades without any kind of persecution. Sometimes there's lots of persecution. So it, it, off and on during the first, second, and third centuries, uh, the church was underground or uh, illegal, or they were, there's nothing, there's no church buildings. You met at homes. Right. Um, we had some, some good uh, church father doing some great writings and encouraging and evangelism. Uh, it was underground until Constantine became the emperor in 312, AD 312. And he kind of uh, 
make Christianity uh, a legal religion. But uh, from beginning at the day of Pentecost in about AD uh, a 30, uh, they're about a 33, we had 120 disciples in the upper room and 3,000 were baptized after Peter's sermon. From a, a small beginning till we get to about AD 300, uh, some scholars think that the Roman Empire uh, had as much as perhaps uh, 25% of the Roman Empire were Christians by that time. Wow. So in 300 years, to go from uh, 120 or 3,000 to uh, several uh, hundreds of thousands uh, of, or maybe more than that, uh, maybe several million Christians by AD 300, without the benefit of being official, mm. without uh, having uh, uh, tax-exempt laws for the churches and so right. forth, is all on the ground. So, so it begs the question, how did the church grow so much? Right. Well, the church grew because you might call Christian ethics or living in the spirit uh, or following Jesus is what you're learning, uh, especially what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. He's really, after Paul does some great theology in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, great theology, then he says, this is how you live this out in 4, 5, and 6 that you're going through right now. And those are fantastic uh, uh, exhortations and instructions by Paul. And apparently early church did this. you might call it life in the spirit, being empowered by the spirit. Mm. But the, the Christians were different. They, they had a different lifestyle. Uh, they, they didn't cheat. They didn't lie. They didn't uh, uh, bed down with somebody else's wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the uh, pagans around them understood something was different. Right. Uh, in fact, during, during the Roman Empire, you had two, uh, what the word, kinds of people, I guess you say, two categories of people. You had you had um, Jews and you had pagans. Now, pagan is not a, a, a dirty word. Pagan just means you really worship nature and, and you're not a Jew, basically. Right. So everybody was either pagan or a Jew. And after a while, uh, but into the second century, there was a third race of people. Mm. We had pagans and Jews and Christians. They were different from pagans and they're different from Jews. Mm. And they were different because of their... Uh, living out their ethics of, of their living in the spirit. Um, they were, they just were ethical uh, and they, and they stood out. And one primary way that was shown was when there were plagues mm. and plagues came through areas off and on. I mean, not every year, but the plagues came through. Sure. Not unlike our uh, pandemic we've had with this or the Spanish flu we had back a hundred years ago. Right. In the world. So in the area, of a, a, uh, a plague would come through, and if you had uh, wealth or income, you would leave the city and go to your uh, country villa and stay there until the plague worked its way out and you go back home. Well, some couldn't leave, obviously. They were poor and stayed. And many Christians stayed too, even though some of them could have left. Many Christians stayed as well and took care of their own and took care of their pagan neighbors. And sometimes the Christians died in the, in the plague as well, and sometimes they didn't. So the plague was all over, and these uh, rich Christians and rich pagans in particular come back to the city, and they say, well, you Christian neighbors, why did you stay? You could have left. In fact, you stayed and took care of my grandmother. And and even some of you died, you know, staying here. I don't understand that. You know, that doesn't register with me. Why would you stay? A great opportunity to to share uh, the love of Jesus with them and why they did that. 
This happened, you know, in different ways. Um, some were martyred and, and killed and did it um, with, with a testimony on their lips, not denying Jesus. And it took note. People took note of this. So that's one reason, and maybe the main reason, why the church grew so much in about 300 years without any support from the state at all or from right. Jews at all. Was the calls that they're Christian living. The calls are living in, in the spirit, walking in the spirit. Um, so that, and, and as, as we go into what some call a, I'm not sure it's the right term, a post-Christian era, especially in our nation, right. um, our, our example our, for us now is to look back to the second and third centuries when the church had no support from the state, right. church had no support from anybody else, was underground, was illegal, but if I can put it in these terms, they defeated the Roman Empire. Right. You know, by having that many people becoming uh, Christians uh, because of Christian living. And that should be our example today. It's not getting support from the state or through politics or through finances or through bigger buildings or bigger budgets uh, or bigger, more baptisms or whatever. Uh, But I think our model is the early church in the second and third century in particular, first century too, of of living the Christian life out with our neighbors uh, within the church and outside the church. So that's a great example for us to look at today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I greatly appreciate that, that I'm always a super big proponent of, of history because you, you know, you get so consumed in the moment of like, well, this seems monumental or this seems like, you know, how could we be at this point? And really, while there are some unique challenges in our current situation, particularly with the pandemic and the just culture in general, as this changed and shifted for the past 30, 40, 50 years, uh, and beyond that, uh, you know, there's some parallels uh, and I appreciate you drawing those out between first, second, third century church of like, this isn't the only time we've, as a, as a body of believers, whether it be local or universal, we, this is the only time we've gone through these things. Right. And, uh, there, there can be tremendous growth and, and, uh, inward personal local growth, uh, again, worldwide growth through that. And how do we harness that and use that in our experiences now, which kind of takes me to the next question. Uh, as we're we're talking about that, I appreciate you mentioning Paul and his you know emphasis on reconciliation uh, and his his respect of you know Jews and Gentiles of that bringing both groups together to be one body, uh, and he you know laid that out clearly uh, several several letters of making sure that we understood that we're all one in Christ, right? And there are no more of anything else. All the other identities are gone, and now you're just in Jesus. And so for, put all the rest of the stuff aside. Uh, so and be reconciled, like you said, to him, to Jesus, and to each other. Uh, so coming into our current context, uh, and again, in your experience over the past 30 some odd years, uh, you know, what is, what is the church now? What, what is, what does the body of Christ look like in, in our situation? And I mean, ours in America, you know, you can't speak to Vermont. I can't speak to North Carolina specifically, but some general things we can take from, uh, from your experience and what you've seen in the church and how it relates to what Paul is writing about even, you know, 2000 years ago and how we can use it now. Well, different directions to go there. Um, let me approach it this way first and you can direct the conversation as you will. Um, the, the heyday for um, church in America and especially Southern Baptist churches was the 1950s. Mm. Uh, After the war and uh, GI Bill, uh, lots of growth, uh, lots of babies being born, the baby boomers, of which Mm -hmm. I'm one. Um, 
denominations were built, not just Southern Baptists, but other denominations. A lot of the mainline churches were built strong, great denominational structures. Uh, that was the heyday for Southern Baptists. Lots and lots and lots of churches were planted. Um, and lots of attendance. Of course, uh, things have gone on in the 60s and 70s were pretty strong and then started declining. And uh, most of your listeners have, have heard or read reports and studies in the last 10, 15 years how uh, the church numbers are declining, especially mainline churches, but even evangelical churches probably have stayed the, the same uh, in the last 20 years in, var- in regards to uh, percentage of population. We've grown with the, with the population. Um, mainline churches have, have declined. Um, I, I think me growing up and even, you know, maybe 20 years ago, um, it was, especially in the South, and I speak especially in the South, it was fashionable, if not required, to be a member of a church. Right. Uh, you didn't have to go to church, <laughs> but, right. but, uh, but you would always be asked, especially here in the South, and, and Eastern North Carolina is especially religious, um, not Christian necessarily, but, but religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my first church in Clinton, that was a rural uh, uh, county, and everyone claimed membership in a church. Right. Uh, maybe you remember, maybe you weren't, but you would be asked, where do you go to church? Well, I go to First Baptist or I go to First Methodist. You know, whether you did or not, you said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the surveys today, people are alarmed about so many people are checking the box, none, N-O-N-E. I don't go to any church, I'm not any religion. Oh my goodness, people become more atheistic. And it, well, I don't think so. Right. I think there are a lot of nuns back in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, but they just said they went to a church, but right. didn't go. Today, it's not that fashionable. It's not required in, in our culture to say, I'm a member of a church somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, I don't go to church, I don't care. Right. You know, and, and people just, okay, great, so you're a nun. And right. so... I think what's happened uh, over the years, I'm talking about the last 50 to 70 years now, um, everyone um, what was, was part of church, um, or well, they weren't. It's kind of like a lot of cultural Christians. We had people who weren't Christians, uh, Jews or uh, Buddhists or Muslims, or people just didn't go to church at all or nothing. And, and then everyone else were in church. Um, there's a lot of a lot of gray area. People in the church for wrong reasons, for business context, for being social, for this is the thing you do. Uh, till the day, and since year, I guess 2000, last 20 years, um, people in these surveys are not checking that. So I, I really see a a maybe it's weeding out the right way to say this. Um, I think people in now in 2020 are going to church because they want to go to church. Right. And those that don't want to go to church don't want to go to church. Right. I, think that, I think that gray area of like, I go to church, but they really don't like it, or I do it because of some other reason, not because of Jesus, right. you know, or because of salvation or because of, of whatever. Um, we have people who are living for Jesus and people who aren't. Right. You know, it's kind of a black and white now. That, that gray area that used to be there for the last 50 years in American churches has, has all but dissipated. Mm. If you were a gray person, uh, you would make a decision to get out of church or make a decision to get more involved in church. Right. You know, so, so those, so churches today, I think are more filled with individuals who want to be there. 
Right. Let me call some other reason. Now, and I think the pandemic with with the COVID that's happened in this last, you know, six or eight or nine, 10 months, uh, we've kind of wrung our hands as church leaders. Oh my goodness. uh, How are we going to connect? Well, we got uh, Facebook live, we got video, audio, whatever. Uh, and we do the best we can. Some churches are reopening. Our my little church I'm pastoring in Kensington, Emanuel Baptist Church, we've been open since May. Um, but we lost some people. Uh, and and I think we lost people who are probably coming back because they were in the gray. Mm. And this gave them a good excuse not to come back. Right. And they're not really excited. Others who just some of us just were itching to get back together, how important it was to be in fellowship with each other. And so I think it's really those who want to be in church got hungry for it. We need it. Oh, man, we're open. Great. Let's come back together again. Mm. And others who just kind of, that's a good excuse, stay home. And they've been out of, out of church three, four, five, six weeks, six months. Uh, I'm not going back. Right. Uh, I, I think that may be a good thing. I think God's shaking of the church a little bit. Right. Now, I can't speak again to the Vermont. Vermont as a state isn't as church as North Carolina is, especially right. eastern North Carolina. Right. Um, so, uh, I just see, uh, a shaking, um, of, of those who are in church want to be there now for, for different reasons. That's kind of see the situation at the moment. Absolutely. All right. So, and again, light of playing a lot of that, uh, <laughs> it's, it's almost hard to even speak of, of, you know, pre COVID church and some of the struggles, cause a lot of those things have changed and shifted. And I, I, I appreciate that uh, as you're mentioning that those who those who really want to be there they're really committed, uh, and so that kind of reshapes the dynamic I think a little bit when you're talking about how people come together and why they're there and how they're operating together. Uh, so you know what what do you see as some of the uh, and some of this will carry over. So what what's some of the recent historical things like you've gone through uh, as as a pastor in these in the three churches when you're full time and then as the interim. You know, what's some of the common struggles you see among believers, um, whether it's just you know, personal disagreements or, or political or, or ethical, whatever. What, what are some of the, the things you've been seeing? And then post-COVID, I guess, because it's kind of almost have to segregate it. Uh, what are you still seeing after this or has that all shifted? Um, let me just think of some of the experience I had in the past 30 years. Of course, that's before COVID had uh, happened. It was his regular church. Uh, as I mentioned, my second church, Newport Baptist, was a dysfunctional uh, church with dysfunctional people. I mean, every church has dysfunctional people. In it. We're all dysfunctional, but some show up more than others. Uh, but they had an episode that happened um, some years before I got there at Newport that uh, caused um, uh, a di- kind of a white elephant in the, in the room. And they didn't talk about it, but it was there. And there are different people who were dysfunctional. Um, I, I'm not sure I fully understand what happened there. Uh, I, I came with a couple strikes against me as pastor because I was the pastor. That's really weird to say. <laughs> and had, had to work through that. Uh, I made some mistakes, um, but there was some animosity there. Toward the end of my ministry, I was there almost 10 years, uh, I felt like I was pastoring two churches under one roof, mm. Church A and Church B. And even some in church B said, well, you're their pastor, not our pastor. I feel fully understand that, but some, there's some dynamics going on. And uh, for the first five years, uh, there's conflict in and about and around me because I was the pastor. Just mm-hmm. I was the pastor because the pastor two times before me had hurt the church. 
Gotcha. So they really kind of looked at the pastor, you know, squinty eyed, like, uh, I'm not sure. We got to have All a pastor, right. but I'm not sure about pastors. Mm. But after being there five years or more, it then became personal. Oh, it's Randy, you know. And right. So some of it was justified, some of it was not justified. Um, it was it was tough time. It was it was really a tough time for me. Very very stressful. Um, but there were those who understood what was going on and, and encouraged me. Um, I'm not sure where the church is now. Uh, the pastor that came after me, uh, he's been there, uh, you know, 16, 17 years. Mm. Uh, there's some dynamics have changed, but but I, but he's been there a long time, and that's that's good. Um. When I came to Spillman here in Kinston, uh, there are 13 years, or just at 13 years, uh, fine church, fine people. Um, I, I could sense um, under the surface uh, some racism. Hmm. Um, not, not the whole church, not everybody. Some definitely were not racist, but, and it didn't really come out, except maybe as you talk to somebody or someone would drop a, a comment in a meeting or right. in, in, in conversation. Um, the, the main, I guess the main racism is that our association, Baptist Association and our church in particular, uh, was sponsoring an Hispanic mission to turn into a church and they were using a part of our building, a, a, a floor above our fellowship hall that was not being used hmm. and, and they used it about 15 years. And you didn't hear much about that. Who, those who didn't want them there. Mm -hmm. uh, they thought it was a three-year gig, and they'd be leaving, and they didn't leave. Uh, um, there was some miscommunication there on misunderstanding. But during budget time is when that that conflict would come up. Um, that they would debate in Santa Hidley about uh, cutting the, the funding for the Hispanic Church. I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. Others are very, very pro-Hispanic mission, very pro. So we had an issue there that that really. Um, People drew lines in the sand, if I can put it that way. They, sure, you know sure. where people stood. Right. And I remember one year, uh, the, we had a, our budget meeting on our business conference, and it was a heated discussion. It wasn't ugly, but it was heated, and um, always potential for fights or splits or anything, anything that's, that's emotional, talking mm -hmm. about money, I guess. But I was, I was pleased uh, the church voted in conference to continue the, the funding of the church. It wasn't much, like $1,500. Right. But I was pleased that after that heated um, or contentious, uh, maybe I'm overplaying that, uh, business meeting, as soon as the meeting was over, people were laughing and hugging and just kind of walking out together arm in arm. And I went, right. oh, wow, okay, you can share your, your opinion and you can share it, you know, forcefully. and. Right still be friends, still be Christian brothers and sisters. And I said, well, that's the way you're supposed to do it. I mean, you mm. did, you ought to be able to share your, your opinion with conviction, right. but go with what the church does and, and you go and, and live life. Mm. Um, in the same church, Spillman, um, it was interesting politically. I had some very strong Democrats in that church and some very strong Republicans in that church. Mm. In fact, the strongest Democrat and the strongest Republican were best friends. That was interesting. <laughs> they would rib each other all the time. But I'm, I don't know about everybody else's political parts, but they, uh, but there's a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans uh, in that. And, and they, not at church, but we knew, we knew where they, where they stood. And that was fun. It's kind of a fun dance you know, in the church to, to tiptoe around those issues without, without saying anything. But uh, <laughs> our congregation apparently 
you know, loved each other despite our political differences. Right. Um, in our church. Uh, so that was, that was, uh, that was fun too. Um, uh, those are some issues that, that, uh, come up, think about in, in the past that my churches, um, my two interim churches, um, well, the church I'm at now, Emmanuel Baptist church, they, they've had, it's, it's a fine church. It's grown smaller, uh, from the previous pastor, uh, and now a little smaller since with COVID, but the pastor before me uh, came in and he, through his leadership, is there about nine years, has radically radically transformed the church from a, a good old boy Eastern North Carolina Bubba church, uh, which is fairly typical in many places in Eastern North Carolina, right, uh, to a more New Testament oriented church. And I heard horror stories mm. of, of him when he was here, fights in the deacons' meetings, mm. uh, not necessarily with him, but some about him or some with each other. Mm. Um, and as I would talk to him from time to time as a fellow pastor in the area, I just hear all the stuff he went through. I just couldn't believe it. Um, he finally went to another church uh, almost a year and a half ago uh, in Western North Carolina. Um, but he is. God used him to really change the church. I think some people have died, but some people have left. And I think these people needed to leave, <laughs> you know, that they were not godly people uh-huh. uh, in, in positions of influence like deacons and others. Um, I think God has taken, has shaken this church uh, to kind of shake it. And all the, Oh boy, can I say this? All the bad fruit has fallen. Mm. You know, and, and what's left is people who want to be there, who want to serve Jesus, who want to be involved right. in kingdom work. They uh, it, were a lot smaller than we were, but I think we're a lot more uh, pure. Can I say it that way? I mean, we're sinners. Sure. But, but the congregation we have now, uh, even despite COVID, these are kingdom workers. Mm. Uh, they, want to, they want to witness for Jesus. And they want to serve Jesus. They want... Uh, to do this and do that uh, seems to be they're more interested in, in body life than just mm. running the apparatus of the church. As right. So many Baptist churches and others, especially in the South do. Um, so that's, that's some of my thoughts that uh, I have at, at the moment. Um, yeah. Let me go. Let me stop there for a second. Yeah, sure. So I appreciate that. Uh, yes, that's very similar, I think, experiences. And in some regards, again, the, the words of Paul in Ephesus really, I think, resonate, obviously, through every generation because it's, it's a human struggle, right? Uh, you know, so issues of racism, which would have been prevalent in his time, too, and, and was a Jew-Gentile issue in, in many respects, uh, among other things. Um, or slave free, like you mentioned right. before, uh, so many different things that he covers there, you know, really carried down to where we are and even not just in the South. I mean, I think we, as a nation, we're fractured, but connected. I mean, it's hard to really describe how I would picture, you know, view of just American culture as it is, as it stands now. Uh, and even how, you know, as we're so much different here in Vermont, as opposed to obviously Eastern North Carolina, yet we share some of the same, same issues, similar issues. Um, and the town up from us in Bennington, they were, you know, still wrestling with black lives matter and things like that. And so that's, even though there's not a predominantly black population in our, in our state, I mean, it's very low numbers, but, you know, still thinking through that as, as a community and as little communities around us. And so, um, 
you know, while it may be, not be to the degree or, or intensity as uh, maybe some churches in North Carolina have to deal with, that, I think there's some still issues with that uh, as well. And I appreciate what you said there about as they were coming up in, in business meetings or just in personal conversation that it came down to uh, the, the core central ethic, right, of, of love and respect that we, that we are supposed to give to each other because of what Christ has done for us. And so, sure, we can disagree, right? Sure, we can you know, vote Democrat or Republican uh, here in the next couple of weeks or whatever, or uh, sure, we can, we can disagree on some peripheral things, but even though we have those, to work through it together in light of, of the good news that we both share. Um, and I think that's going to be so critical, and I, I'll, I'll get your opinion on this here in just a sec, as we move forward and move past November. <laughs> um, again, it's not too contentious politically here, I don't, I don't, from what I gather. I mean, I'm not connected to everybody in my little town, but uh, probably not as sharply divided as other places, maybe perhaps even where you're at. Uh, but it's still an issue, right? Politics always stirs things up. And, you know, how do we work through that, past that, and how as a church – uh, can we be a model of what true community looks like? And I think I've been wrestling with that as a pastor and as just an individual of, okay, the, the picture of, of community that the Bible paints as a body of Christ, what does that look like and how do we translate that and show it to our friends, family, our neighbors? Uh, so as we're kind of wrapping it up, I want to kind of, kind of end on there with your thoughts on that. How do, how do we practically, as Paul's laying out, how do we practically live it out? In our current context, how do we practically live out being a gospel community within this broader American cultural community that we're called to live in? Great question. Um, you know, if it wasn't for the church, and probably anywhere in the world at any time, this is like America, if we had no church, we would all congregate, if that's the right word, with people just like us. You know, uh, ethically, economically, socially, geographically, uh, we just would, would be little conclaves of, of groups. Right. Um, the, the church, uh, local church in particular, uh, we uh, obviously most of our churches are people there are kind of like us. That's why we're there, kind of. But there are different people there. So people in, in our churches, some of them we just don't like. Right. Some people in your church don't like some other people in your church. It's because for, for whatever reason, something they did personally, personality, uh, different, they live in a different place, whatever it is. But because we're Christians and live in a local body, uh, and as we're trying to follow Jesus and what Paul's gospels say, what Paul say, says in, in, in his epistles, we, we learn, it's like a little laboratory. We learn how to live with each other. Mm. We learn how to walk in the spirit. We learn how to love and respect one another. Mm. Uh, we look, we, we in, in um, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is taking the Corinthians to task, having the Lord's Supper, and all the, the rich ones were getting there first to this great meal and, and making, you know, gluttons of themselves and getting drunk on the wine. And then the slaves after work would come and be nothing there to eat. and. Right. And you just kind of, they can't do that. And then I think of uh, Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, Onesimus was a, a slave, was, was his slave and run away. And apparently he received Christ in Paul and Paul sends him back and tells Onesimus, the, the, the slave owner, that he's your brother in Christ now. Right. How do you live that out? I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, we don't have that kind of same issue today. Sure. But otherwise, uh, if you hadn't been, hadn't been brothers in Christ, they would be something completely different. Right. Um, 
I think that the, the, the body of Christ helps us to become more like Christ because we got to deal with situations, people that we don't like mm. or think differently from us. And we can think differently if we can be on the same page together, if we can be in, in unity. Right. That doesn't mean uniformity. We all got to mm. think the same thing. You don't, but we got to be, have our opinions, share, but let the body direct. Uh, I th- I'm going to give credit to Bonhoeffer here. I think he said, uh, I, hope, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> church is a place you go where your dreams are crushed. <laughs> and what he means, we all have what we want, our ego and everything, and we're in the body of Christ. What we want usually doesn't happen. Right. You know, I mean, unless you run rockshod over somebody, then that's then you don't belong in church. <laughs> right. At least in leadership positions. Right. So this is where Jeremiah says, iron sharpens iron. Right. Uh, I think we come into church. Uh, I, I see myself as, as, a, as a kind of raggedy rock. And I come into church and I'm, I'm rub, rubbing against the other believers and what they're doing. They're smoothing me out. Mm. And they make, I'm becoming more, more Christ-like because mm. I have to, to live practically what it means to live in the body. Right. Uh, with a local body and then, of course, a, a larger body, too. Um, yeah, Paul's talking about life in the spirit. That's what that's what body life is about. Is life lived not our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's again, he makes a really big case of that in Ephesians four, five, and six. Right. Um, that we we have to die to self, uh, which means, as he says in Philippians, put others' interests above your own interest. Right. And that's easier said than done. That's for sure. Uh, so that's where I, I kind of see us going. I hope. We should go in your, your church there, uh, Faith Community, and my church, Emmanuel Baptist, and uh, the, the communities across our country. Uh, I think that's why we who we are is because we're in local bodies of Christ that right. got little laboratories of how we become like Christ. There you go. Well, that's fantastic. That's, uh, I appreciate so much for you taking your time this, uh, this morning. We're filming this, or recording this, for those of you who aren't aware, it's a Tuesday morning, so you'll get this later this week, but we're doing it now, hashing it out. And uh, for those of you who know, I'm not a morning person, but it's 1030, so this, this is a mid-morning, so I'm okay. So I've appreciated this, uh, this experience. Again, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Allen, for being here and sharing your time, first and foremost. Uh, and and you're, you're just the church history, everything. It's all just so wonderful. And, and I just appreciate and, and love you so much for it. And, um, you know, if we didn't live hundreds of miles away from each other, then, you know, we'd be hanging out together all the time, but Hey, that's we right. got to do it over zoom and that's okay. That's okay. That's good. That's <laughs> At least we can. Right. So great. So thank you so much again. And for those listening, thank you for listening again to, uh, to this content. This podcast is out here. We put out our weekly message. We also put out going deeper, uh, which is a, a, a series that we have on YouTube as well. And we also have our um, uh, personal uh, testimony times that we've, we've gathered from some of our members. So I encourage you to visit all the previous episodes that we have on this, uh, on this channel. We're going to put the link on Facebook and on uh, Instagram and a couple other places too. So you can make sure you find it easy and share it with a bunch of people. You never know who you're going to affect and infect with the gospel, hopefully uh, some good, some good, good spreading. All right, let's just practice that as we go throughout the rest of this year and into the fall. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We can't wait to see you whenever you happen to come next time, whether it be Sunday or Thursday or whatever. I look forward to having you guys.